Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome your host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changers. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome to the show. Um, We are the, I hope, your one-stop shop or one of your one-stop shops uh, for all information having to do with the latest medical and especially pharmacotherapy information that will make a fundamental change in how you practice or how you approach patients, whether you're a provider or pharmacist. We really do try to do that here at Game Changers for you. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for for listening on. If you're a long-time listener, thanks for continuing to be, to be a part of, of Game Changers. Uh, so today we are going to talk about, uh, as of this recording, kind of hot off the press, um, and it's from uh, the USPSTF, so the United States Prevention Task Force that is going to talk about the use of vitamins, minerals, and supplements. Now, as a pharmacist, uh, I'm always kind of two minds about this. You know, again, you know, the evidence largely for practically almost all the things that most patients want to take as far as, as vitamins and minerals has never been very good, as we all know. And the other big thing that is always a problem with this is that, and something that I think pharmacists probably, you know, should just have on a recorder around their neck, they can just push a button and play it when patients ask them about about herbals and vitamins and minerals, is that remember that this multi-billion dollar supplement industry is pretty much unregulated. Yes, there are some FDA standards, but they're very minimal, and and standards for good manufacturing practices that FDA requires for prescription and over-the-counter meds are just simply not required for any of these medications. And I vividly remember a paper, and this was this now probably more than 15 years old, where they basically just took, they went to, some authors went to basically a GNC and basically picked up a bottle of ginseng, which is one of the more popular uh, supplements out there from a whole bunch of different manufacturers. And they just basically took them to the lab and using HPLC actually tried to measure how much ginseng was in each one of the manufacturer's bottles. And they found a range anywhere from 21% to 140% of the stated amount of ginseng in that study. So, you know, it is kind of the wild west out there and that you just really don't know what you're getting. Um, and, you know, when patients kind of, you know, yes, I get all that, but I really think that I'd like to be on, on, on a supplement. What I always tell patients, and I'm sure most pharmacists tell patients is, okay, well, that's fine. If you're going to do that, then at least try to pick a manufacturer that does do other prescription or over-the-counter medications, because of course the theory is that they wouldn't have a whole different setup for the herbals that they're using or the supplements they're using if they already have the equipment and everything in place for FDA-approved medications. Um, Also, there's some independent verifying organizations like USP you can utilize. And of course, if they go through the process of of being independently assessed by USP to say, yep, this is what's actually on the bottle and how much it is, then that's certainly reasonable too. But before we even get started talking about it, you know, it, it does bear reminding that, that a lot of times you just don't know what you're getting when you buy a bottle of supplements. But that has not, of course, stopped patients from doing that. And uh, there was, uh, if you take a look at NHANES data, uh, the last NHANES 2011 to 2014 survey, they, they surveyed 11,000 patients and found that half of them reported using at least one dietary supplement in the past 30 days, and 30% of them used a multivitamin mineral supplement as well. So this is certainly, that concern is certainly not stopped the general public 
from really embracing a lot of these for good and for bad, I think. And when uh, in the NHANES study, when they said, well, why? I mean, why are you spending money on this? You know, they say, well, you know, uh, I heard that, you know, I heard from XYZ that this is good for overall health. You know, that if you take more of this than, than I can get in my diet, then, then I'm going to be healthier, especially because all Americans are scared of both cancer and cardiovascular disease. That's the other thing that, that, that they say, well, I heard or saw or read or something along those lines that if I take more of this vitamin mineral supplement, I have a decreased risk of, of a heart attack, decreased risk of cancer, things like that. Many have said, I just don't have a good diet, you know, and, and so I, I know I need more vitamins and minerals in my diet, and I just don't have a good enough diet to get it from dietary sources, so I'm just doing that to, to do this. And of course, from a 30,000 foot view, you know, laboratory studies have long suggested that several supplements and vitamins and minerals have antioxidant or anti-inflammatory properties. And I've said, well, you know, that may be why, you know, we've kind of translated that to saying, well, in the lab, these drugs may have, or vitamins and minerals may have antioxidant properties. Well, that's good for you because oxidative stress leads to lots of problems like cancer. If you take this, it'll decrease that risk. And that's really as far as a lot of this stuff has gone. I mean, it's all been in the lab, maybe even in, in animals, but, you know, very, very few studies have been done that have been decent randomized control trials. And so, and the ones that have been done have not really shown in, in, in Toto the benefits that have been purported uh, to be shown with, with these. So, you know, the um, practical upshot of all this is that it's one of the truisms in medicine is that Americans have the most expensive pee of any, any people on the planet because we eventually, we essentially take all these vitamins and minerals that, that we don't absorb because we, our body already has plenty of them and they just, we just end up urinating them in, out of the toilet. So again, that's, I guess the point is to say, well, you know, what data do we have in randomized control trials that taking vitamins and minerals and supplements is actually helpful? And so that's what the USPSTF updated guidelines really kind of talk about. So what they did was that like they always do, they take all the studies out there, they always try to focus on randomized control trials, so of course that's the highest level of data. And then they assign a grade to the level of evidence and make a recommendation for or against the use of a therapy or a diagnostic uh, modality. What did they find here? Well, we're going to go ahead and summarize the, the recommendations here. And then we'll take a break and then come back and talk about the evidence that kind of supports that. So as far as different and individual types of vitamins and mineral substances, the U.S. Uh, PSTF recommends against, and I, and I emphasize the word against, the use of beta carotene or vitamin E supplements for the prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. And we're going to explain why that is. And again, so it's, it's not a neutral. We don't know if this works or not. They recommend against the use. And they suggest in their guidance that, in fact, that there may be harm associated with high beta carotene and vitamin E supplements in the prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. And we are going to, to talk about the evidence that supports that. It was a grade D level of evidence because it's really only one randomized control trial, but it was a grade one statement. So to whom does this recommendation apply? It applies to basically community-dwelling, non-pregnant adults. It does not apply to children, persons who are pregnant or may become pregnant, or persons chronically ill, hospitalized, or have a known nutritional deficiency. And again, this is all assuming that, that this is kind of the average person. Certainly, if you have a, a documented 
uh, nutritional deficiency, that may be an issue. The USPSTF recommends, of course, in, in women uh, planning or capable of becoming pregnant, that they may consider uh, folic acid as a supplement, because again, that's important if they do become pregnant, and I think we're all aware of that. How to implement this recommendation, they basically say that, that when patients ask us, we should not recommend beta carotene or vitamin E supplements to prevent cardiovascular disease or cancer, that other vitamins and minerals basically have little evidence of either benefit or harms, and that basically it's just the cost associated with them. So in most cases, they don't have a recommendation one or the other for other vitamins and minerals. They basically say there's really no evidence. So, you know, there's, you know, really, you're really spending your money for probably nothing. Uh, they do note, however, that mega doses of especially uh, fat soluble vitamins can result in harms. That's not very common, but it can absolutely occur. And it's something that you have to, you have to kind of watch out for. They note that the studies that, that look at this just aren't really great. Um, they note that there's, there's a significant amount of heterogeneity in the, in the populations that are studied because they have different socioeconomic factors such as food insecurity, the ability to absorb vitamins and minerals, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the summary of, of, of the recommendations is that in general, all vitamins and minerals, they don't have a lot of recommendations for or against because they say there's really no data showing it's beneficial. And other than in mega doses, it probably doesn't harm people, but we really don't know. But they come out and say, do not use beta carotene and vitamin E supplements for prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. And then the only real exception to, to this is, again, the, the folic acid recommendation in women who are pregnant or, or trying to become pregnant, basically. So, And the last time they had done this was 2014. And so what they always do in these is when they update things, they basically do a systematic review on the evidence of, of uh, efficacy of single nutrients, functionally related nutrient pairs or multivitamins. And in this case, they wanted to look particularly at the risk for uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, general mortality in the general adult population, as well, of course, as any harms. As always, they try to focus on the average ambulatory adults so the community dwelling, non-pregnant adult without known cardiovascular disease and without serious chronic disease. So this is just kind of the general Joe patient that you see. And of course, patients without known nutritional deficiencies. They always focus on a randomized control trial because of course that gives us the highest level of evidence. And then the USPSTF basically breaks down the kind of individual uh, recommendations on what they found. So again, we said before that, that beta carotene is actually recommended now. Uh, there's, a, there's a recommendation against its use for prevention of cancer, cardiovascular disease. This a systematic review, they found six RCTs reporting on out outcomes associated with beta carotene supplementation with or without vitamin A supplementation. Uh, and actually found only one study that did that. When they did a pooled analysis, uh, they actually found that beta carotene use uh, had an increased risk that was not statistically significant for all-cause mortality in studies that had anywhere from a four to 10 year worth of follow-up. However, they found in five of the studies, they found a significant, a statistically significant increased risk for cardiovascular mortality associated with beta carotene supplementation at four to 10 years. It was a 1.1, so it wasn't gigantic, but a 10% increased risk. But again, the reason we're taking these is to <laughs> not increase that risk. So, and it was statistically significant. More importantly, they found that in two studies that they looked at that patients who smoke or patients who are exposed to asbestos in the workplace had a statistically significant increased risk of lung cancer with beta carotene supplementation with an almost 20% relative risk increase 
they looked at that and vitamin A, it was even slightly higher. So this is one of those cases where, again, I was unaware of this data. And so not only is taking beta carotene with or without vitamin A, uh, uh, you, know, you know, we don't know, is it harmful, helpful? They actually found in this analysis that if particularly, again, if you smoke or exposed to asbestos, high levels of beta carotene actually seem to be associated with an increased risk of developing lung cancer. So you can certainly see why USPSTF said, well, we're not going to recommend that. We're actually going to come out and say we're not uh, to not use this so because the harms definitely outweigh the benefits. When you take a look at vitamin A by itself, uh, they only found one RCT and they found no association between vitamin A supplementation and all-cause mortality or uh, any other outcome. So vitamin A by itself doesn't seem to have, have any benefit or harm. Uh, they note that it is possible to, to take too much mega doses of vitamin A and you can kind of get into trouble with that. So again, you know, just there's no recommendation for or against, but just says there doesn't seem to be any benefit. Vitamin E is something that is, is kind of waxed and waned, and, and there actually are several studies that have looked at this. So they, they, the, the USPSTF looked at nine RCTs that report on outcomes with, with vitamin E supplementation. They found that when they pooled these studies together, there was no benefit associated with vitamin E use on all-cause mortality in an end of over 108,000 patients after three to 10 years of follow-up or a composite outcome of any cardiovascular disease event or cardiovascular mortality. They also, again, found no benefit associated with vitamin E use on mortality from any cancer. So again, they just basically found that vitamin E doesn't seem to have a benefit at all one way or another. And then multivitamins, a kind of a general multivitamin supplement that many, many patients take is again, this that we said previously, uh, about 30% of patients, uh, they looked at nine RCTs that reported health outcomes associated with multi multivitamin associations. When they looked at this, uh, they did in about 50,000 patients, uh, they did not find an association between multivitamin and supplementation and all-cause mortality. They note, and, and this is worth noting, that the largest study that was ever done on this was the COSMO study. So, and that stands for Cocoa Supplement and Multivitamin Outcome Study. I wouldn't have mind been randomized to the Cocoa Supplement arm of that study, but it was a, it was a huge study, about 22,000 patients. And at the time was, was kind of designed to say, you know, kind of look at, you know, gee, you know, this is a big study uh, um, and we're going to look and see if there's any benefit on just general mortality. And they did not find that. Now, one of the things that people have have argued about the Cosmo study was it was they only had 3.6 years of follow-up and that that may not be long enough of a study to look at the outcomes of cardiovascular mortality or cancer mortality and stuff like that. But the bottom line was that pooled studies when they looked at the individual outcomes basically found no association between multivitamin use and cardiovascular disease or cancer mortality, they did find that full, when, they, when they broke up the different studies, that one uh, combination of four trials had a very slight decrease in cancer instance that was just barely statistically significant. They felt that the body of evidence on just general multivitamin use and mortality, cardiovascular disease and cancer outcomes basically found no benefit. They note that again, you know, the biggest study ever done here, the COSMO study should have probably gone on a lot longer to see if there was any benefit. Um, and, and that for most outcomes, there, there wasn't a benefit Benefit, but it wasn't always concordant because there were a couple studies that found a small benefit, but most of the studies did not. And when you brought them all together, there was just basically no, no additional benefit. They also note, of course, that we're not talking about one multivitamin with one particular formula, right? So multivitamins have a wide variety of different formulas and amounts of vitamins, antioxidants in them, minerals, all that sort of stuff. So that does limit it. They note that one of the studies, which was called the PHS2 study, was only done in male physicians. One would assume that male physicians might tend to be a little more healthy 
to begin with, um, as, as I said. So again, you know, they note that there was nine studies and they had, you know, a total of 50,000 patients that they could review. None of these studies were particularly well done, even the Cosmos study, which was supposedly going to be one of the biggest studies to really ever figure out what was going on talking about vitamin D and calcium. And of course, vitamin D is one of those things where it seems that you can probably find a study uh, to, to really support that below vitamin D levels are associated with almost every disease under the sun uh, from the ones you would expect, things like osteoporosis to the things you wouldn't expect, like dementia and cancer and cardiovascular disease and Parkinson's disease and all sorts of stuff like that, that there's a study out there that suggests that patients with low vitamin D levels are at higher risk of developing all these things. So, you know, the um, the use of vitamin D gets a little bit tricky. Certainly in the COVID era, there was some, there was some initial uh, suggestion that high levels of vitamin D may actually be protective against COVID because vitamin D may have some antiviral uh, benefits. But again, the data that has been published to date is just not just shown that. So it's, it's probably not a surprise that they found actually 32 RCTs, so the most by far with vitamin D with or without calcium, looking at supplementation with vitamin D and calcium in these outcomes that we're talking about. And they basically found in a pooled analysis, they, they ended up taking 27 studies together, found no difference in all-cause mortality uh, with vitamin D use, um, and, and um, this included 117,000 patients. After six months to seven years of follow-up, they found a pooled analysis, found no team group differences in cardiovascular mortality, um, so that was about the same, and, and no differences in the individual things like myocardial infarction or stroke. Pooled analysis uh, also found that vitamin D supplementation was not associated with any difference in cancer mortality or incidence compared to placebo. Um, they do know, however, the two largest studies of vitamin D supplementation, uh, the one study was called VITAL and the second study was called D-Health. The report on cancer mortality had point estimates for effect size that were on opposite sides of null. So basically one study found a benefit and the other study didn't find a benefit. And when they pooled them together, it kind of canceled each other out. So they, they said that it may be possible that, that, that they're missing a factor there of, of, of where it might be beneficial. But the bottom line was that again, vitamin D didn't uh, supplementation did not seem to have any significant effect on cancer mortality, cardiovascular disease, or, or, uh, or mortality in general. And then in calcium, they talked just calcium by itself. They looked at seven RCTs, reported health outcomes on associated calcium supplementations. Again, sounding like a broken record here. Uh, a pooled analysis found no difference in all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, or cardiovascular mortality. Um, in any of in any of the studies that they found, finally some other like lesser known vitamins. They looked at vi folic acid with or without vitamin B12. USP uh, PDF found uh, five RCTs reported outcomes associated with that in non-pregnant adults, and we want to be clear about that non-pregnant adults, and found that that the data was uh, was so low that the incident or bad incidences of both cardiovascular disease and mortality were too low to draw conclusions. This makes sense because these studies were done in younger patients, so probably the incidence was so low you need a power of hundreds of thousands of patients to, to, to show any different. So, but even when they took a look at homocysteine levels in patients who had high homocysteine levels, and in the 90s, there was a theory out that hyperhomocysteinemia, which we know is a risk factor of cardiovascular disease, uh, if, we can, if we can lower high homocysteine levels in patients, we can in fact decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease. And then randomized controlled trial studies basically showed, nope, that doesn't actually happen. So uh, something I always teach my students when I'm talking about cardiovascular disease is that, you know, uh, hyper homocysteinemia is the perfect example of a non-modifiable risk factor for, for, for a cardiovascular disease. And then, uh, sorry, to, uh, sorry to have to keep uh, kicking Linus Pauling while he's down, but uh, uh, 
uh, vitamin, when they took a look at vitamin C levels, uh, they, again, uh, same, same song, different verse, they did not find that, that vitamin C supplementation had no effect on, on cardiovascular disease, mortality, uh, cancer, anything along those lines. So, you know, bottom line was that uh, in the end, they did not find uh, any benefit really for, for any vitamin or mineral or supplement in this gigantic meta-analysis and in fact found harm, particularly for beta carotene, especially in patients who smoke or exposed to asbestos. Now, you know, defenders of vitamins often say, well, you know, there's a lot of problems with these studies. And one of the biggest problems is they didn't draw levels in these patients. So how do you know these patients have a low vitamin D level or low, you know, beta carotene level? I mean, you know, should we be treating to, to a laboratory target? And especially in the case of vitamin D, many patients have, many, many uh, vitamin D advocates have argued that the, uh, the normal level for patients uh, it should be much, much higher. That if you actually take a look at most labs, the, the, the normal level of vitamin D should be around 30 in most patients. And many uh, uh, proponents of vitamin D have argued, no, it should be much higher than that. It should be kind of 60 to 100. They also note that really uh, it's difficult to get into trouble with too much vitamin D until those levels really exceed 100 or 150. So it doesn't hurt patients to do that. And, and so, you know, and, and again, there, none of these studies have really kind of addressed that. I think it'd be, uh, you know, from, a, from an ethics perspective, it would be kind of difficult to do a study to try and push people's vitamin D levels to the super high end of, you know, high end or what, what might be considered too high a level. So, I, you know, I don't know if those studies will ever get done. The bottom line is this, this just basically shows that we have many cohort studies that say, okay, we have, you know, all these retrospective studies that say that if we take a look backwards in time, people had low levels of or, or, or low amounts of X vitamin or mineral ended up with high levels of cardiovascular disease or cancer. The problem is, is that when we try to give people extra pharmacologic supplements, it doesn't seem to do anything, and in fact, may be harmful. So why is that? Many have argued that low vitamin levels just may be a marker for poor health. You know, again, if you have chronic disease, you may be not eating enough, you may not be eating appropriately, uh, you know, you may have food insecurity, things along those lines, that basically you end up with low levels. And so, you know, patients who have you know, uh, chronic health problems, you know, tend to get more chronic health problems and people who don't, people who are healthy tend to have less of those problems. So, you know, the question is, is that, you know, you know, is it that low vitamin levels are just a marker for poor health and that fixing those levels isn't a causative factor. And I think that's kind of the leading thought right now is, is that people have, for example, low vitamin D levels, they are just more likely to have poor health and fixing those vitamin D levels is, is just fixing the marker for poor health doesn't actually fix the causative factor. Of course, there's also things like slower socioeconomic circumstances, poor food security, uh, and just poor general diet. And the question, of course, becomes, you know, you know, humans are probably designed to intake vitamins and minerals with food. That's what we're kind of designed to do, right? And, and that's kind of, we've kind of evolutionarily designed to, to get that. And so the question becomes, you know, if we fix people diets, is that going to be the, the issue that fixes things? Is, is there some, is there a benefit beyond just the, the chemical itself? We don't know, of course, don't know the answer to that. Um, the other thing that the vitamin and mineral advocates you know, argue is that, you know, these studies didn't look at specific subpopulations. Would there be subpopulations that benefit? Perhaps. The problem is, is that it's going to be very hard to do studies that have enough power to show a difference in very small subpopulations. So if you're like, well, I only want to look at patients who are obese, 
who are from you know uh, North America or Northern Europe who tend to have low vitamin D levels to begin with because they don't get into the sun anymore. And so if we just look at those patients, I mean that's terrific, but it's 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 going to take you know 20 years, 100,000 patients to design a study that would show a benefit if one existed. And you have to ask yourself who's going to pay for that kind of study. So bottom line is that multiple studies have not shown a general benefit with vitamin mineral uh, minerals in, in cardiovascular and cancer prevention. So what do you tell patients? You know, I think we've all had this had this conversation, and we'll probably continue to have this conversation. You know, patients will make their own decisions, and that's how it should be. But basically, saying that the, that the evidence really doesn't suggest that that taking any of these things is beneficial, and in fact, again, may be harmful in patients. And that while you you know say it's you know it it probably can't harm them unless you're taking mega mega doses of stuff, it's probably not helpful. And it is certainly de depleting their wallet. And, and, and that that's, you know, especially in, in current times, probably not a great thing. So that's kind of my conclusion. That's certainly what I've told patients over the years. That's, again, what the USPSTF is now saying. Unfortunately, I suspect that that, that will not stop most Americans from enriching their pee, however. So that's it for this episode of, of Game Changers. Thank you again for listening. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Thanks for listening in. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes. And check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com, where we curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine to deliver straight to you. Join today to connect your learning to practice.